This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending out invoices or a side hustle Etsy shop or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. Listeners, all you'll need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment needed. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or just drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Really cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. You can save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. That's Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now loading horrifying coma. Rebooting systems. Warning systems corrupted. Horror protocols installed. Now time to end the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, TV, and more. Preparing our listeners for ritualistic sacrifice in 3, 2, 1. We are the Amazing Nerd Show and this is Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week Michael Myers is back, so that means we're going to be reviewing Halloween Kills, and we're also going to be covering all the big stories to come out of DC's fandom. Plus, Horror Month rages on as it begins to infect our wrestling segment, as we'll be discussing our favorite horror-themed wrestlers of all time. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. All right, so this past weekend, we had the second annual DC Fandom. Uh, this year, we got to see the fruits and labors of all the announced projects we uh, had last year. So for this year's event, we had some big announcements. Uh, we got some first-time looks, and we had some full trailers. But most of all, we got a whole lot of cool shit to look forward to. So without further ado, Christian, let's jump right into it. I mean, speaking of some cool shits, I mean, we're going to get our first look here at Black Adam, which I don't know, man. I didn't know what direction they wanted to go with this film. I didn't know like how dark they wanted to go with the character or anything like that. But he's just fucking electrocuting someone's spine in this <laughs> in this little fucking trailer that they showed us off. So I'm, I'm impressed by how it looks visually so far. No, I'm with you. This was definitely one of the bigger like holy shit moments of the weekend. Uh, you know, so it starts off, we see like this team of explorers, arms, they seem to be like searching for something. Uh, the, one of them starts to read like some kind of like, I don't know, like carvings on the, in the ground. It sounds like she starts to say Shazam. All of a sudden we see a giant lightning strike. And then there's The Rock after fucking 14 years of this project, like being in limbo. <laughs> He's uh -huh. finally standing there as Black Adam and he looks fantastic. 
but I was really expecting nothing less because I know this has been like a huge passion project for him. I mean, just the fact that he stuck with the project for 14 years after it was going through like pre-production hell, um, you know, tells you like it actually means something to play this character for him. Next, we see like this group of explorers or I don't know if they're soldiers or whatnot. I, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, unload their guns on him. He catches bullets and shit. He grabs one of them and then he literally like drains them of their life force, it seems like. And he's just left holding a fucking skeleton. <laughs> I was like, this feels like such a drastic tone shift compared to the Shazam like movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because their stories and legends are like intertwined. So, but like you see like, you know, Black Adam and then you see what they did with the Shazam like film and it feels like it's like taking place in two very different like universes. <laughs> so it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see if we ever get like any kind of crossover. Like they have to do that, right? Yeah, at some point they have to build up to that. I'm imagining in another, like maybe another film right after this i don't know but i mean i i, I want to see this version of billy bassett go up against <laughs> fucking black adam who's got more you know moral combat skills than the moral combat <laughs> film had you know i i want to see that i guess the battle everyone's <laughs> actually calling for right now on the internet is superman though they want to see like hmm. black adam go against like superman it's funny that everyone's just kind of like passing over shazam and like going right to like you know superman but i will say like snyder superman seems like he at least exists in the same universe as mm -hmm. you know black adam where i don't know where shazam doesn't feel like he should even be in the same room as him yeah i i definitely feel like it'll be a moment of very much polar opposites if they were ever to like step in the same like scene together and i think that's gonna be more fun because of it so during the intro to this scene we had a bunch of actors kind of talking about the film uh we did see like the different justice society logos of the characters who were supposed to appear in this film like briefly so that was pretty cool we know we're gonna see adam smasher we know we're gonna see dr fate and uh Hawk Hawkman, which I can't wait for, and Cyclone. So those are all things to look forward to. I mean, this is a much bigger cast than I was like expecting, uh, but it tells you that they've got a lot invested in this film. All right, well, this film comes out July 29th. So up next, we have some behind the scene footage from the sequel of one of Christian's favorite films of the last decade, uh, Aquaman. You know it. Uh, the sequel is titled Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Uh, it's gonna be directed again by James Wan. Uh, in like all the behind the scene footage, uh, we see Patrick Wilson as Ocean Master. Uh, we get a good look at uh, the Black Manta uh, costume. Um, it's been upgraded slightly. It seems a little more streamlined and the helmet doesn't seem as big this time around. Cause you remember that fucking helmet was giant. Like they went like comic book accurate. Yeah, but I loved helmet. it. <laughs> no, I liked it too. But yeah, this time it feels like it's, a, it's scaled back a little. So, uh, and he was played by Abdul Mantine, who was just in Candyman, right? Yes. All right. So, uh, but yeah, hopefully they give him more to do this time around. I feel like last film, he was just kind of like a side character almost. Like he wasn't really the main villain last time around, right? No. And even so, like what his scenes were all like what they put online before the yes. movie came out. Yes. So it's like you knew what we was We saw happening. a lot of this movie in the trailer, unfortunately. Hopefully that's mm. not the case this time around. Uh, and then we, of course, see uh, Jason Momoa uh, as Aquaman. It seems like he's wearing like a black variant of the costume that he wore last film. So I don't know what that's about. But yeah, that's 
pretty much all I got out of like the little like behind the scenes look. So not really much. Uh, it seems like the, the film is still in production, obviously. Um, it's due to come out uh, December 16th of next year. So uh, we also got a behind the scenes look at Shazam, Fury of the Gods. I feel like I got even less out of like this footage. <laughs> Really, it was just a glimpse of like Helen Mirren and um, Lucy Liu playing two gods arriving in Philadelphia. So that was really it. But that was a lot more than what we got last year, because I think last year it was just some like promotional art or something, right? No, exactly. I mean, it, but it's still weird that they just like showed off like CGI characters that aren't even like finished yet, that they're like planning on putting in Shazam and all this other weird stuff. So. Yeah, well, this isn't due out to 2023, actually. So okay. they're still like early in production, I'm guessing. Well, speaking of early, early production, we got some concept art for not only Blue Beetle, but also Batgirl. Yeah, it was kind of a look at what their costumes could be possibly look like in the films that are coming to HBO Max. Um, yeah, I mean, it looked like Batgirl and Blue Beetle to me. <laughs> uh, they did confirm that Batgirl will be wearing like the old school cowl. Um, you know, lately she's been mm. kind of wearing like goggles and stuff in different versions of the character. So, but she's going straight old school with the cowl. She's going to have like the red hair and everything. I'm not sure if it's going to be a wig you know, to disguise her identity. Um, she's done it in different points in the comic, and she used to do it actually in the old school, like, Batman show. So um, we'll see if they go down that route. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty much it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't much of a first look, really, you know? Um, hopefully we get more as the year goes on. Uh, I'm just happy that these films are being made, honestly. Oh, you know what else? Uh, there was a story where I guess the director of Batgirl kind of confirmed in a roundabout way that Batman is going to be in this film somehow. Um, he doesn't really go, he doesn't really dive into like, you know, how much in the film. Um, he also doesn't say which Batman would be in the film. I guess that's what the interview <laughs> asked him. Uh, mm -hmm. And all he said was the real one. So who the fuck knows what that means? Because <laughs> <laughs> to me, that sounds like it's Michael Keaton. But, you know, that's just my opinion. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe George Clooney will show up. Bat nipples and oh, all. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, there's no way it's the Robert Pattinson no, version. <laughs> no, absolutely not. He's too busy putting eyeliner on in his Batcave, listening to Depeche Mode. Uh -huh. <laughs> this one looks more like a My Chemical Romance <laughs> type of Batman, hey, if you ask I me. I like but... My Chemical Romance. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> I'm going to go put my eyeliner on now. Well, Batgirl doesn't have a release date just yet, but we do know it will be only on HBO Max. Yeah, and that's the same with Blue Beetle. So interestingly enough, there was no real mentions of the upcoming Green Lantern uh, core series and all hmm. of the J.J. Abrams projects that were announced or rumored uh, this past uh, year. Uh, you know, so I'm guessing those are still in the very early stages because they just didn't have anything to show. Uh, the one thing they did talk about uh, that Abrams is producing is the upcoming new Batman animated series. So the show title is actually Batman the Cape Crusader. It's being produced by Abrams, uh, Bruce Timm, uh, longtime DC animation executive producer James Tucker, uh, and the Batman director Matt Reeves. 
So when Tim talked about the project, he said it was going back to the original principles of the Batman uh, animated series uh, with like fewer broadcast restrictions. Uh, it's going to be set in the early days of Batman's war on crime uh, and it'll feature a version of the character, you know, who uses Bruce Wayne as a mask to hide like his activities as the Cape Crusader. So it really sounds like a year one or year two Batman we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Reeves added, it's just Batman no Justice League and since it's so early in his career we're gonna see him in more like lower tech situations and we're gonna watch as he like starts to develop all of his tech you know things like batarangs it looks like there's gonna be a lot of like trial by error stuff happening but fuck yeah <laughs> that's all the types of stuff I want to see in a show no, it's, it's, that's literally everything I would want in yes, right? series you just want to <laughs> watch him in a lab making batarangs all day that's pretty yes <laughs> this is the guy who was pissed off you didn't get to see Ray actually like you know make her lightsaber yes! in Rise of Skywalker. So I'm not surprised that you get off on this. Uh, they also added nothing should be assumed in the series. Some of those traditional relationships, you know, that he has. I'm guessing they're referring to like you know him and Gordon might not develop here. So I, okay. I thought that was interesting. They also mentioned that it's going to really like lean into that like 1940s noir style that, you know, the Batman animated series had. And then they ended things by saying the new series is going to be more Batman the animated series than Batman the animated series. So, okay. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And I mean, as far as the relationships go, I mean, if you think about like what a cop would see as in Batman in his early days, I I would imagine Gordon would have to be almost like against any type of vigilante in real life. Maybe not. Realistically, (laughs) yes. Any cops, regardless of, you know, how long they've been on the force are going to see, you know, Batman as a threat or, you know, just a vigilante. Uh huh. You know, an insane person dressed up like a fucking bat, you know, beating up criminals. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, if this is a much more grounded take on the character, then that definitely makes sense. And then we also got a trailer for Peacemaker. Is it not called, oh shit, it's Peacemaker anymore? No, like, it's just called Peacemaker now. That's disappointing. I know. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean? Truth is, you're supposed to be in prison. For what? Superhero stuff. What superhero are you? Peacemaker. Get out of here! There's no superhero called Peacemaker! Dude, I'm famous! So this literally picks up right where we last saw him in the hospital. Uh, It seems like, you know, it's going to be following that same team that picked him up and everything, and they're going to go on, you know, some misadventures. Yeah, from the Suicide Squad? Yeah, from the Suicide Squad, Phil. Uh, which, I mean, should be a good time. <laughs> I still don't know how they survived the wrath of Amanda Waller, but, I mean, that's a discussion for a whole different day. <laughs> and are they working for Amanda anymore? Like, are they working for True. the government, or are they working for someone else completely? Yes, because we do get we do meet a new gentleman who asks uh, Peacemaker to start working for him. Uh, I don't know who this is going to be yet. But after meeting up with this guy, you know, we quickly, you know, meet the rest of the team uh, there's there's another woman that's gonna be working with them, pr- brand new to the to the group, I guess. And then there's vigilante who's there just uh, to help. Out. I don't know if he's actually part of the team or if he's just friends with Peacemaker because they seem to be like training be together. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> As it goes on, it seems like we're gonna be getting kind of like Peacemaker's past a little bit, learn a little bit more about the character 
Um, you know, we see his dad. We actually see him interacting with his father, and we hear actually Peacemaker bring up some stuff about his like childhood and how it's he, he was probably <laughs> abused by his brother. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised with uh, Robert Patrick playing the dad. So yeah, he always plays a mean bastard. So. But after that, we start seeing him chase some some green guy. Yeah, someone in a green on. costume. It looks like TDK from the Suicide Squad, but it's definitely not uh, Nathan Fillion. So I don't know if this is supposed to be like TDK two, um, you know, which is a, a huge like comic book trope. I mean, I think in Suicide Squad, right? It was we had Ratcatcher two on the team. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely looks like the same costume, but it's not the same actor. So he is also taking on some super strong woman in a, in a house oh, yeah. and getting his ass kicked. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, just everything looks funny and it seems like we're still getting that same delivery from John Cena as we saw in the movie. So I, I can't complain there. Yeah, this definitely has James Gunn written all over it. I know he directed like five of the episodes and I think he wrote the entire first season himself. So, I mean, his fingerprints are going to be all over this series, uh, which is a good thing. Um, it definitely feels more the same of what we got out of, you know, the Suicide Squad humor wise. So and that's exactly what I'd want from this series. So um, I, I can't imagine, you know, him hugging that bald eagle is going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that ends up being like his sidekick, though, too. Uh -huh. So uh, but yeah, no, I'm definitely excited for this. It comes out January 13th of next year. So up next, we got one of the more anticipated first looks of the entire weekend. We got our first look at the upcoming Flash film. Tell me something. You can go anywhere you want, right? Any timeline, any universe. Why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? All right, so we start off the teaser, seeing a car pull up to Wayne Manor. Uh, two people get out. Uh, we hear the sweet sound of Michael Keaton finally playing Bruce Wayne again uh, as he asks Barry uh, if you could be in any timeline or any universe, why would you choose to want to stay and fight for this one? We see Barry in his all-new Speed Force suit, um, all lit up with the lightning bolts. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of this look, but it is what it is. Um, he seems to be walking into maybe his childhood home and confronting possibly his mother. Uh, we know that they're doing the Flashpoint storyline and that's a big part of the storyline. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens here. After that, we see a bloody bat cow laying on the ground. Um, it kind of looks more like Ben Affleck's like bat suit. Uh, and then we see Barry looking at what looks to be someone hanging from the wall um did you get that vibe from the from that shot i mean it very much could be and i think that's what they want to play off of especially since you just saw a bloody cow right. on the ground but i'm also thinking this it might just be him looking at an armory and maybe that's someone's suit uh, maybe it's even like the body of an maybe old they're, maybe Robin they're swerving or us. who knows yeah it's, i think there's a couple of swerves in this oh, i'm actually. sure i'm sure right uh, I like that it's a traditional uh, teaser, though. You know, yes. like, you know, sometimes they say, oh, it's a teaser. And then they give you a full fucking trailer. 
Well, in the introduction to this, actually, he's like, we don't really have anything to show you, but this is just some footage we put together, so here That's you like, go. It's like, not even a trailer. I'm like, yes, This it is, is a full <laughs> teaser. This is what a teaser used to be back in the day. <laughs> anyway. Next, we see a younger Barry, like, looking at someone laying on the ground. I don't know if this is supposed to be his mother in the past, uh, maybe when she gets killed. Uh, but it goes by really fast, so it's really hard mm. to kind of dissect. Uh, then we see, you know, someone making a DIY, like, flash suit, uh, spray painting some boots with a lightning bolt. We also see the old school flash ring. Uh, in the comic books, the suit used to actually pop out of that ring. So I, I don't know if they're going to go that route here, but that would be kind of cool. Um, we do know a couple weeks back, uh, Annie Muschietti actually shared an image of a bat suit with the flash symbol, like, spray painted onto it. So... I don't know if this, this is kind of connected to those boots. Maybe Flash needs to get, like, a new suit for some reason in this world, um, you know, or this is the other Flash that we see later on in the trailer or in the teaser. Then we see the classic silhouette of Tim Burton's bat suit, obviously with Michael Keaton in it, as not only Barry Allen looks on, but another Barry Allen looks on, also played by Ezra Miller and Supergirl. It looks like maybe the other Barry Allen is wearing the suit we saw earlier being kind of spray painted, perhaps. And then we hear, you know, our Barry ask, are you it? We get ourselves a look at the new Flash logo. Uh, and then we see what is probably this Earth's Barry because he's got the longer hair. Um, mm -hmm. go up to what's obviously a 1989 classic, you know, Tim Burton Batmobile and exclaim as he uh, untarps it. Holy shit. Those bastards tease me hard yeah, with that right. one. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the Batmobile. Uh, <laughs> it's just a teaser. <laughs> I know. I guess we're going to have to wait. Uh, I'm guessing that this other Barry is probably this world's Flash. Especially the way he reacts to seeing the Batmobile for the first time. Because why would, mm. like, our Barry be excited by that? Since he's already seen, you know, probably many Batmobiles, you know, being part of the Justice League. He still would be excited. Based off what we've seen in the movies, he'd still get all hyped I up guess, about but it. but he's got the longer <laughs> hair. I'm assuming this is the other world's Barry. Yeah. So. <laughs> but you're not wrong, right? I don't know if I could handle two Ezra mm. Millers in one film, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't mind his version of The Flash, but two of them might be a bit much, you know? Especially if it's, like, throughout the entire film. And don't forget, there was also that rumor of a third Ezra being the evil Flash in this. Possibly. Oh, dear lord. <laughs> Three fucking Ezra Millers running around. I don't I, I definitely uh -huh. don't think I can handle that. Uh, well, maybe it's this Flash that we're seeing here that turns evil. If that's true, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. So, uh, it's cool to see Supergirl, too. She is supposed to be from, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman's world. Um, that did come out because I think we recently talked about there being a possible series in the works, too, starring both of those characters. Um, but yeah, we'll see if they develop their relationship a lot in this film or enough to warrant an entire series. So, yeah, I'm curious to see like how close they stay to, you know, the Flashpoint storyline. 
I mean, they're already kind of taking liberties with it because it's not Thomas Wayne that we're seeing here. And I doubt Thomas Wayne is showing up. I mean, this this film's already jam-packed. Uh, so, but I mean, it's a cool concept story-wise. So I just hope that they stay in the spirit of it as much as possible. Overall, I thought this looked great um, and just got me more excited for this film. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and this, this is how you're supposed to give us teaser trailers, yes. please. This makes me want to see way more out of the DC side of things, especially with yes. Flash. But yeah, the Flash movie is set for November 4th, 2022. But oh no, Damon, that wasn't the last trailer we got from the DC Fan Dome event. <laughs> I really thought it was fandom for like the past year. Yeah, so. me too. <laughs> I guess because it's like supposed to be taking place in some kind of virtual dome, whatever. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, we got the second trailer for The Batman. Fear is a tool. When that light hits the sky, it's not just a goal. It's a warning. All right, Damon, so we start off into the seedy underground of Gotham where we see Paul Dano's Riddler at a coffee shop of some sort getting quickly picked up by some police officers. Um, and we find a question mark, of course, in his mug before we get into the awesome title yeah, sequence. Yeah, uh, Gordon was uh, there too. So, And with the amount of police officers that were surrounding him, obviously he just pulled off some big crimes. So. But speaking of Gordon, we then see him standing right next to the bat symbol while Batman lets us know, you know, and pretty much reminds us, hey, I'm the I'm the beat your ass type of Batman here. <laughs> As we then get a huge montage of him just, of course, uh, probably the wide shot of that scene that we saw in the first trailer of him just pummeling all those guys in that like yeah, random like beating the shit area. out of a fucking troop of clowns, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I really enjoy like how unhinged like his fighting style seems to be. You can just feel mm -hmm. like the rage behind every fucking punch, uh, I, I, and too like he all of a sudden like starts shocking that one guy at the end, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with one of his bat gimmicks. Uh, pretty badass stuff. Uh, we then see Batman probably inside uh, the GCPD, you know, trying to interrogate um, Riddler. Riddler, you know, obviously has done something horrible. He's already, uh, Batman's already asking, like, what have you done? Well, we don't know how far it's going. It's, it gave me a lot of uh, that Joker Batman vibe. Do you, do you feel like it's the Riddler that we see, though? Because we don't really get a full glimpse of him, right? I guess I just assumed, because, yeah, we don't get a good... No, you're, you're not wrong, but it does seem like they're hiding him for a mm -hmm. reason so i don't know if they're just trying you know like if it's a red herring or something but that did seem odd to me since we already saw the character you know earlier on in the trailer like why hide him here it'd be a good twist because yeah they haven't really shown paul dano's face throughout these like it's either been like very much a side profile or That's it's true. never really been full on yeah i don't know if we get a glimpse here because it is you know kind of a montage mm -hmm. trailer too so it goes scenes go by really fast we um uh, we also get our first lines from zoe kravitz in the film uh you know bringing up that she can handle herself to batman i don't know how big of a role she is going to have in this story but it, i mean 
see what they do with it. I hope it's not like just adding too many characters at once, but it's so ridiculous. Like how much she looks like her mother. Uh-huh. It's insane. <laughs> like, like she's a fucking straight up clone. It's crazy. <laughs> we get a quick shot of Penguin looking out at the city. Then we have Alfred, you know, pretty much telling Batman that he's going to kill himself as he always does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool seeing Andy Serkis play the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a good fit. Uh, this is definitely a younger Batman who just yes. doesn't give a shit about anything else than, you know, other than being Batman. Even like the brief shots we see of him as Bruce Wayne, he still looks like a moody fuck. So I'm guessing like we're going to see this, you know, version of Batman, like have to find a balance between, you know, you know, Bruce and, you know, the Bat. Well, I mean, just like we said about the animated series during um, earlier on, uh, I think we're going to see him trying to create that Bruce Wayne mask as, you know, the billionaire playboy that couldn't possibly be Batman. Mm hmm. That's true. But um, as you said, this is very much a year one version of this character because the very next scene we see him in the Batcave and he's got a very crude layout of like what he thinks is going on. Uh, It almost looks more like a garage, honestly. Yeah. Uh, There was a line here, the sins of my father, which I was very interested in. I don't know how far. Oh, written on the ground. Yeah, written on the ground. I was like, yeah, it looks like it's probably, I'm guessing, like pieces of riddles Mm -hmm. that he's like found throughout the movie. He's doing like some straight up like detective work. So and we heard that originally when this film was in production, that this is going to be more of the detective version of yes. Batman, something that we haven't really seen on film before. Which I love. And I think if if this becomes a you know series where, you know, it's Batman dealing with the mistakes of his family and stuff like that, like seeing if it ties into like the Court of Owls or anything like that, I think that would be a very interesting like route for this version of Batman. Oh, I would love that if that's if that's what's happening here. Mm. That'd be great. We'll see if they like dive that deep. I think we talked about that previously when the film was first announced or maybe during the first trailer that maybe the Riddler's actually trying to like reveal something to Batman about his past that he didn't know. Mm. Like maybe Riddler isn't actually like the main villain of the film. Which is a great twist. I mean, I'd definitely be excited to see if they go down any type of like Court of Owl route. So, I mean, it'd be a lot to digest for an audience, you know, with this being like the first film of, you know, this new series. But I'm for it. Yeah, it's the first part, maybe, you know, (laughs) maybe they just yeah, maybe they just introduce the concept. And, you know, with the five spinoffs from this movie, they could flesh out this world pretty deeply. So who knows? (laughs) And this storyline, because there is like five spinoffs coming from this one movie that hasn't even been released yet. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But they might need all those spinoffs to tell that story. So this is where the trailer just kind of picks up. Um, We get a ton of little action scenes. Uh, We see Catwoman, you know, going through a club. Um, Dialogue wise, she's asking like Bruce, you know, who is he under the mask? And everything mm. and he of course typical says typical Catwoman Batman shit, right? Yeah, typical <laughs> shit. <laughs> and of course, in typical fashion, he says, I'm vengeance. <laughs> yes. Either that spliced together with another seed, but uh-huh. yes, no. That... <laughs> Very Batman. Um outstanding visuals throughout all these action sequences. Like the moment where the lights are off and it's just machine gun bullets firing and ricocheting yes. off of him. It was just like, oh, 
That's so beautiful. Yes. And I have a feeling that's like one of many different like hallway fight scenes we're going to get in this movie. Because like you said, it feels super gritty. All the fights are like really up close and personal. Uh, I love that his armor is just like straight up bulletproof here. Mm -hmm. um, he's like a walking tank, but it's not like super bulky like we've seen in the past with the other bat suits. So, I mean, that's definitely a bonus. Um, he seems to be very mobile in it, which is something the other films in the past have definitely struggled with. I mean, even even if it is bulletproof, we do see that he is still taking damage. I mean, we get a scene with him with his shirt off and he's still got tons of scars and everything all over yeah, him. Yeah, so. it's like year one or two. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit, what's your back gonna look like in a couple more uh -huh. years? <laughs> but I mean, at least he can turn his fucking head unlike yes. Michael Keaton in his bad suits. Because <laughs> imagine what Michael Keaton's back looks like I know, at right? this point. <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot of people complaining online about how deep the jaw for his, ma like the cow line is, how much of his jaw is actually out. How do you feel oh, about it? I'm fine with it. <laughs> Relax, please. It doesn't bother me, no. No, I, I, I understand what they're saying, but it's not a big deal. You know, I mean, it, it would make more sense if he had a little more, like, protection mm. underneath his chin. But, I mean, it's I'm sure they're trying to go for a different look. And at this point, we've seen so many different versions of the suit that's kind of hard to pull off. But, I don't know, I was, I was totally cool with the suit. You know, every tooth loss is just a lesson, you know? Right? There you go. <laughs> you know, we get more action sequences going forward. We get a, you know, kind of a monologue over of the Riddler saying, you know, what's black and blue and dead all over while, you know, people are just looking in horror at something off screen. Uh, so we don't know what, I mean, we don't know what the big bad thing is going to be in this. And I, I have a feeling that you might be right on that. You know, Riddler is trying to just unveil some type of truth. Because, I mean, even the first trailer, he was, you know, stating, you know, like, oh, you can't trust the police I, I or stuff like that. So, well, and then we in this trailer, we see the Riddler get captured. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's kind of like a Hannibal Lecter thing. Maybe he's like helping you know, Batman and the police, like by giving them different clues and everything. I don't know. No, oh, I mean, I think that makes sense. Uh, the trailer does end with another great glimpse of the Batmobile. He's chasing down Penguin for some reason throughout the streets. And Penguin, when he thinks he's got him best, you know, bl tries to blow him up. Here comes the Batmobile flying through at the flames. Colin Farrell looks amazing. Yes. And I just love like in that like brief second we get a little taste of his performance. It totally feels like he's like channeling his inner like Robert De Niro. <laughs> it's definitely like a different version of the Penguin we've never seen before. Mm. Like he's really tapping into the gangster side of the character, mm. uh, which I just love. But yeah, Colin Farrell's like Penguin is one of the things I'm most excited about seeing in this film at this point. You know, exactly. He looks like a great performance and he's just completely unrecognizable. I didn't realize it was Colin Farrell for a moment there. I forgot that he was casted in the role. <laughs> right. Well, and we do know that he's rumored to also be getting a spinoff series. Yes. <laughs> so hopefully he knocks it out of the park. Like I could really see like the character trying to discover like who he is as a vigilante, like whether or not like, you know, he's willing to like go that extra mile and actually like kill. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to see kind of a like morality play like happen here in this film? I could see that potentially like he 
you know, the option to just end whatever villain he's going up against, probably laying before him. And I can definitely see them playing um, Catwoman into that role as well, as she could be the one that just kills the person for him. And, you know, he comes up with this, you know, decision to just never kill after like that. Maybe like she's like the devil on his shoulder and Alfred's uh-huh. the angel. That yeah. kind of type of deal. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that because this definitely feels like a much angrier version of the character we've seen in the past. So, And I love it. <laughs> I love every moment of these trailers. Me too, because it's something we haven't seen before on film. Yes. So, and Batman's such a great, like, character that you can visit, like, these different periods, like, throughout his history. And you can tell different kinds of stories and really dive into, like, different aspects of the character. I'm extremely excited for it. I've enjoyed both trailers so far. It it looks great to me. And once again, you know, this was a trailer that didn't really show you too much. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't give you too much of the story. Like, we really have no clue what the fuck is going on. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. And luckily, we don't have much longer to wait. Uh, the Batman is set to premiere March 4th, 2022. So, yeah, well, that's it for DC Fandom. Uh, in a week dominated by DC News, of course, Marvel... Uh, couldn't share the spotlight for too long. And unfortunately, they made headlines for all the wrong reasons. That's unfortunately true, Damien, because Marvel Studios is shifting the release dates for every film coming out in the next two years. So yeah, it was announced earlier this week that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which was previously scheduled for March 25th, 2022, is moving to May 6th, 2022. Uh, That, of course, then caused Thor Love and Thunder, uh, which was previously scheduled for May 6th to shift to July 8th, 2022, which in turn means Black Panther, which was previously scheduled for that date, will be now moved to November 11th, 2022. You see the trend here, Christian? I've noticed a a, a (laughs) tiny trend. (laughs) That, of course, means that the Marvels, uh, which was scheduled for November 11th, is moving to February 17th, 2023. (laughs) And Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania will be moving from that date to July 28th, 2023. Then we had two untitled projects uh, get removed completely off the calendar. Uh, They were both scheduled for July 28th, 2023 and October 6th. Another untitled film previously set for November 10th, 23, uh, has been moved to November 3rd, 2023. So that actually moved up. (laughs) So whatever. Now, when this news first came out, people were acting like the sky was falling. You know, but it's the internet, so of course. Uh, But when you really kind of dive into it, I mean, these films are just, you know, getting bumped by a couple months. And honestly, after the past two years, it just doesn't feel like that big of a deal. I mean, we had movies Mm. get delayed by an entire year during the pandemic. So, I mean, it is what it is. I'm patient enough where I can wait a couple of months. No, yeah. Like, I just reviewed No Time to Die, and that's been, like, I've been waiting for that to come out for over a year and a half. Right. (laughs) It feels longer, honestly. Uh. (laughs) So Deadline's reporting that this has nothing to do with, like, changes in, like, distribution strategy uh, for the films. There's no Disney Plus theatrical day and date going on, um, and it has nothing to do with, like, you know, concerns about the global marketplace. It's more of a domino effect caused by, you know, films needing more time. They basically kept all their dates. They just kind of shifted everything over a spot. Mm -hmm. The only film that didn't get rescheduled was James Gunn's Guardians 3. 
So maybe he has some kind of pull. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm maybe guessing that Guardians 3's story will be a little bit more self-contained. And that's why it, it doesn't have to be shifted on the you know schedule to make sense in line with everything. But yeah, I just I really want to see that Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> Um, you know, I'll, I'll wait the extra two months, but I, I just want to know what's going to happen in the multiverse of we'll madness. We'll survive. At least Spider-Man didn't get delayed. That would have yes, been upsetting since it's like so close. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nightmare. Also, we know at this point there's going to be tons of like Disney Plus shows to keep us distracted. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. We'll be okay. We'll survive. And as we just talked about with DC, we have plenty of DC films coming out at the same time. So That is true. I mean... Honestly, this is fucking overwhelming to look at. I mean, this schedule is crazy because <laughs> they're putting out what, like three films a year. And that's yes. just Marvel. I mean, you add DC into the mix. Holy shit. We're going to be in the theater every weekend. Exactly. I mean, that's not a bad problem to have, I guess. <laughs> no. Well, this just in while I was editing the show for you all, it seems Sony may be fleshing out even more of the Marvel calendar as they announced two new films for 2023. While they haven't officially announced what characters they will be making the films for, originally only Kraven the Hunter was set for 2023 with a January release, but now there will be films slated for June 23rd and October 6th. After the success Venom had at the box office and teases of a crossover between Venom and the MCU Spider-Man, you have to speculate that this may be a push towards, you know, a big Spidey event for the two, if Venom doesn't of course show up in No Way Home that is. But on top of that breaking story, we got another one coming from the Star Wars camp. That's right, you better hide not only your husbands, but your wives and your children too, as Hayden Christensen is returning for even more Star Wars on Disney+. Coming from The Hollywood Reporter, Christensen is set to join Rosario Dawson in the Ahsoka series, which is being reported to start filming in 2022. What Anakin and or a young Vader's role will be in the series is up for debate, but if you ask me, it will either be a Force ghost or a vision, though it would be amazing if they gave us a reenactment of Ahsoka versus Vader when she sees Anakin's eyes behind the helmet in that scene. That would be worth more than the price of a Disney Plus subscription. But for now, we will wait and see Hayden Christensen's performance in the Obi-Wan series, which we should be getting a release date for soon. But yeah, that does it for news, but we did see a movie this week. That's right, Christian. Speaking of delays, this is a movie that actually got delayed by a whole year. But we did survive, and we finally got to see Halloween Kills. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Halloween Kills ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. We killed Michael. My grandmother set the fire. No one told you. You told me what? Michael Myers is alive. A man couldn't have survived that fire. Forty years ago, the boogeyman came for us. We are the survivors of Michael Myers. Glory, what do we do? We fight. The saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode continues in the next thrilling chapter of the Halloween series. This was directed by David Gordon Green and stars Jamie Lee Curtis. So Halloween Kills was definitely a mixed bag for me. 
I mean, it's got a lot going for it. It's atmospheric, well shot, with tons of great visuals that really capture the essence of the season. And I know that might sound weird, but as a fan of the series, these are all elements that I look for in a good Halloween sequel. Uh, it has to really feel like Halloween, or it's just a complete disconnect for me. Uh, when it comes to, like, Michael himself, like, he's a force of nature here, uh, more so than ever. Like, the film like touts one of the highest body counts in the history of the franchise and it's by far the goriest I mean Michael feels unhinged and it makes sense because the last time we saw him he was cornered and trapped like an animal so here he's lashing out and nothing's gonna get his fucking way uh, this is by far the most brutal version of the character to date and while you know most horror fans would see this as something to like celebrate and I mean I'm not gonna lie I did enjoy Enjoy all the carnage, uh, but with that being said, that's not why I watch like you know the Halloween series. I mean, don't get me wrong, like creative kills and gore, that's always been part of the franchise. But it's more of what I look for when I watch like a Friday the Thirteenth film with Michael. I'm just more invested in, like, the legend and the ambiance of Halloween. Like, part of why I enjoy Michael so much is the way he stalks his prey. Meaning I love how he emerges from the shadows to the sounds of Carpenter's score, which, before I forget, is a highlight here in this film. Uh, that's far more important to me uh, than the body count. Uh, for me personally, when filmmakers get away from that aspect of the character, they take away what's special from him him. Uh, and, you know, he becomes just kind of a run-of-the-mill slasher instead of the shape. Now, with that being said, story-wise, I can kind of forgive it here, uh, even more so than Halloween 2018, because I feel like there's a reason behind it, since because of the events in the previous film, he seems to be more on a warpath to reach his final destination. But after two films like this, I do hope we eventually get back to the original shape version of the character. Uh, but speaking of story, like, conceptually, I did think the premise was strong. Uh, this idea of how the community responds to fear and trauma. I mean, it's something the series has touched on before, but never fully, like, dived into. Unfortunately, though, the execution is just lackluster at best. And it kind of throws the narrative of the film in disarray. Jamie Lee Curtis, who was by far the best thing in Halloween 2018, is pretty much sidelined in this film uh, since, like in the original Halloween 2, it takes place the same night as its predecessor. So what happens because of this, uh, instead we're stuck following multiple different groups of people we don't really care about because the film just makes them feel unlikable. Uh, this also causes some serious tone issues where some of the characters feel like they're almost in a completely different film. Uh, but back to the premise, it seems like they really were trying to hammer home this message about mob mentality, but unfortunately the script really just didn't deliver here. I mean, and then the dialogue is just so over the top and cheesy. I mean, there's this whole scene that takes place in the second act uh, in the hospital that just goes on way too long, and it's just cringeworthy uh, to the point of me asking, like, are they going for camp, or am I supposed to be taking this seriously? 
Like, I don't want to give too much away, so I'll tread lightly, but they have this mob go from zero to a hundred. It is just like so unauthentic and so poorly done. Uh, they're literally chanting the tagline to the film over and over again. It's just ridiculous. Uh, and then to top things off, they're surrounded by Haddonfield's police who apparently are just awful at their jobs. I mean, this scene alone just slows down the momentum of the film and almost took me out of the picture completely. I mean, like I said, the message isn't bad, but like, my God, there's got to be a better way to portray it, like, without it completely derailing the movie. Also, apparently everyone in Haddonfield has, like, a TED Talk prepared about the evil of Michael Myers. And listen, like, one of the reasons I love the series so much is because of Donald Pleasant's, like, fantastic monologues. But there's only one Donald Pleasance, and, like, these monologues started feeling extremely redundant. Uh, on a positive note, and kind of ironically, you know, with that being said, I was really surprised, like, how well they handled the flashback scenes. I guess they found a really great stand-in for Dr. Loomis, and, like, through the use of practical effects, were really able to, like, bring that character back to life and they were just able to capture really like the feel of the original film uh, which is uh, difficult to do I mean I would love for the series to actually go back to that time period and tell more stories like after like this trilogy is over with especially since continuity has been kind of just thrown out the window at this point but lastly the film doesn't really have much of an ending but like knowing that this is the second installment of a trilogy, I kind of figured that going into this movie, so I'm okay with it, I guess. I guess I just wish they would have left us with a better story to look forward to. Um, we did find out recently that Halloween Ends is going to have a time jump of like four years. So it's going to be interesting just to see like how messed up some of these characters are going to be at that point. I mean, if you really think about it, Laurie Strode's granddaughter has suffered more loss than Laurie did in the original film at this point. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't blame Laurie for some of it. But anyway, overall, like I said at the top, this is definitely an uneven entry into the lineage of the series. Uh, by no means is this the worst Halloween sequel, but it's definitely not the best. And that's just disappointing because it did have some promising moments. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give this film a C-. I'm really hoping in the third film of this trilogy, David Gordon Green can really stick the landing. Because, I mean, Halloween is my favorite series in horror, and it just, it just deserves better. Unfortunately, I don't personally have much faith in the final installment for the trilogy after this film because while yes, the kills were on point, everything else was just lackluster. And with them taking on the concepts of trauma so poorly, I can't help but feel like they're going to miss this landing by quite a lot in Halloween Ends. When I put in mind that these films are only sequels to the original and that it has been 40 years since the first sighting of Michael, I can't imagine a town getting as riled up as this version of Haddonfield. For example, and this is very mild spoilers, but there is a young couple introduced in this film that helps out Tommy Doyle's group, and I think they could have been a great vehicle for showing people's disbelief in the boogeyman, and just how frightening Michael is. I think it's more likely that the people of Haddonfield would look at these four who you know had experiences with Michael in their past as a little bit crazy, 
because the town itself would have moved on from the tragic events of 40 years ago. And then, as the body count kind of grew over the night of Halloween in the first film, you could show the town dissolving into chaos a bit more in this film, with bodies coming into the hospital left and right which would have led to a building chaos from the town rather than this just hard cut to the hospital kind of just being filled with people that are upset by the night. But instead, as Damon said, we just got a bunch of random stories from people having nightmares from the very first film of Halloween. But story aside, the only other big thing that bothers me about this film, and Damon touched on this just a little bit, was the fact that because there is a sequel already planned, the characters make choices that are illogical at times. There are several moments where they could have just easily killed Michael and just don't take the opportunity. Why you ask? Well, because there's a sequel, dummy. He he has to make it and for me I just got very frustrated as there were definitely many ways that they could have gone to have gotten him to those bigger scenes they clearly had planned out uh, but they took a very lazy approach from getting all the characters to transition from scene to scene I mean honestly it got to a point where I was simply cheering on Michael because all the heroes were so unlikable and just making dumb decisions left and right. I just wanted to see how he was going to kill him next. But yeah but for my grade I give Halloween Kills a C- as well. The cinematography and effects were great just bogged down by bad storytelling. And now a message from our sponsor Manscaped. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to your blow-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20AMAZING. Christian, I know when I shave, I don't want my experience to be like a bloodbath from Psycho. That's why I saved the horror show for the big screen, and I groomed with Manscaped. Have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy film? Well, luckily Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with their new refined body wash. Fellas, the ladies love their signature scent and it will scare away those vampires. Unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They made it easy for you to upgrade your grooming routine. It's a full moon out and the werewolf in your pants is howling. It's time to tackle that problem with the Lawnmower 4.0. Their finely tuned pube products feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? This trimmer is a shower essential. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker a total game changer to your men's hygiene arsenal. The Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer that provides skin safe technology that help prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will make sure your pumpkins stay fresh. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Hey, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. 
bring your comfort in boxers to another level. And if you're looking like Wolverine and haven't cut those nails recently, be sure to look into the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. They also have a bunch of other life-changing products on their website, so be sure to check it out. That's right, listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off plus free shipping when you use our code 20amazing at checkouts on manscaped.com. Say trick-or-treat to your beautiful new Halloween with Manscaped. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Well, this past week in gaming also was hit with trailers straight from DC Fan Dome as we got new trailers for Gotham Knights and The Suicide Squad. But before we get into that, I wanted to make a quick mention of another trailer we got as we saw our very first glimpse of the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy Definitive Edition. They have fucking fingers, y'all. Finally! (laughs) But with all that aside, I think my general impressions from the trailer were a tad bit underwhelming. I think I'd very much prefer a full remake than a polished version of the game that we've already gotten multiple times. Uh, Don't get me wrong, these are classics, uh, but I don't picture myself shelling out money for a higher definition PS2 game when I can just mod them on PC to get around the same quality. The lighting effects and weather effects look fantastic, but they don't do anything for me to make me interested in picking this up right now. I think I'm just at a point where I'm ready to get some news about the next installment of GTA. But anyway, we got a story trailer for the Suicide Squad game. Kicking it into high gear, Rocksteady's Suicide Squad is tasked with the damn near impossible. That's right, kill the Justice League. Amanda Waller has brought together a squad of of Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, King Shark, and of course, Harley Quinn. From the trailer, we get a glimpse of our gear man, Gizmo, who is quite the evil inventor, and most likely the player's hub for gear upgrades. Throughout the trailer, we see that Brainiac has infected beings small to large and even the Justice League, though the only one that may not actually be infected is Wonder Woman, as we don't get a good glimpse of her eyes and she actually is seen attacking one of Brainiac's infected monsters. And with a little bit of a spoiler warning here if you haven't played the Arkham games, uh, Batman in this universe is dead. However, there is a brief moment where it seems like we might either be running into someone dressed as Batman or possibly even Jason Todd as a gun is raised to Harley Quinn's face in a kind of Batman-like area. And we also see references to Batman throughout the trailer. All in all, this trailer felt very much like the recent Suicide Squad film. And funny enough, it kind of felt like DC's take on the Guardians of the Galaxy game based off the trailers we've seen for that so far. Without the heavy focus on choice, of course, because I don't think you're going to be making too many of the you know big choices or decisions for these characters. I think you're just going to be playing a straight narrative experience with the ending already predetermined. But it's clear to me that James Gunn's influence seems to be plastered all over both games, which I think is awesome. But speaking of the Bat family, we also got a trailer for Gotham Knights, this time focusing on the Court of Owls as Penguin informs Nightwing they exist and he's way in over his head if he thinks he can take them on. Of course, as we said earlier in this storyline, Batman is dead, but as we've seen from statues in this trailer, so is Gordon. So our four protagonists, Batgirl, Tim Drake's Robin, Red Hood, and Nightwing are Gotham's last defense against the madness of its own villains and maybe the last hope against the Court of 
Owls. In this trailer, we get an, an idea of the enemy that the Court of Owls will bring against you, which are the Talons, and we see different versions of the Talons, which we never got in the comics. There weren't all these different variations of the Talons, but it's a video game. They need different variations of villains, you know? <laughs> and it also kind of seems like they will be separating all the members of the Bat family to go through their own mazes that are, you know, are meant to make them go mad and kill them, similar to what we saw in um, Batman's storyline with the Court of Owls. Uh, but, you know, good luck on having any effect on Jason Todd, as that man has already been through death <laughs> and come back. So we'll see how that works out. I'm plenty excited for these announced games. Suicide Squad and Gotham Knights are slated for 2022 releases, and I'd be more than happy to dive into them live on Twitch for all of you. We have been playing a ton of games on Twitch lately, so if you're interested in more gaming out of the Amazing Nerd Show, make sure to join us live on Twitch every weekend around 12 noon central time and make sure to follow us on social media for plenty of bonus events that we do that get announced through our social media that's at amazing nerd live kind of our sister uh twitter page for all the streaming event stuff that's going on uh so just make sure that you're following us there if you want to know that information oh yes 29 bodies 29 souls a new undertaker can present them to me one by one and with each one, you'll get closer and closer to your championship. My sole purpose in this lifeless world is to collect the souls of the unfortunate people that cross me. All right, so this week, since there isn't a Dynamite, uh, they're probably all too busy celebrating their big victory over the WWE this past weekend. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk our favorite horror-themed wrestlers of all time. But briefly, I mean, I can't believe WWE fucking picked a fight and then got their asses <laughs> handed to them. Like, and I didn't think it was possible, honestly. No. Like, <laughs> just amazing. Um, if you listen to the last episode, like, I for sure thought there was no way AEW was going to get the win here. But, I mean, they somehow pulled it off. Uh, going up against Sasha and uh, Becky and then Brock and Roman. Just ridiculous. And honestly, you got to give them credit because they didn't really, like, change Rampage at all. I mean, they mm -hmm. had a fantastic lead-in on YouTube. Uh, you saw the Suzuki match? Yes, I watched everything. I'm caught oh up. Oh, <laughs> my God. That match was just, I mean, instant classic. I mean, it's definitely going in my, like, top five matches of the year. <laughs> it's just whether or not it's going to rank number one at this point. I mean, just an amazing match. But regardless, I mean, fucking Ruby... Soho and the bunny tied Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, you know, in the fucking demo uh, for their segment. That's just ridiculous. So I don't it's a know. Testament. Like, well, <laughs> like if you looked at it, though, the last couple of weeks, I mean, the ratings for Rampage have been like declining. So I was kind of expecting more of the same. And it's not like the cards seem that exciting at all and then like knowing what they were going up against but i don't know if like tony khan like somehow rallied the troops or whatnot but i mean pretty fucking impressive it just shows you that young people don't watch wwe though <laughs> like, no <laughs> not in that key tumbo apparently um and i know a lot of people are like oh well they won in overall viewers listen the networks 
are looking at that key demo. That's what's most important to them. That's actually how they do the rankings. If they were to rank that half hour that they went head to head, AEW would be on top of WWE. That's just how it works. So there's no arguing that. So just let it go. It's okay. You know, they shouldn't have fucking picked the fight in the first place. Now, I'm interested to see, like, how WWE necessarily reacts to this. Um, Like, does Vince double down? Uh, He's putting Talking Smack up against uh, Rampage, I believe, this week and next week. So that feels like they're kind of retreating, honestly. Because I could see, like, if they would have won, them, like, doing a full hour you know, up against mm-hmm. Rampage, you know, and extending SmackDown to like maybe three hours, like do two hours on Fox. That's exactly what I was going to say. I do one hour on FS1. I mean, that would be something right up like McMahon's alley. But regardless, I mean, as wrestling fans, which we all are, if you're listening to this segment, we should be celebrating because we got a whole lot of great wrestling this weekend because SmackDown was fantastic. It was there were great matches. So, I mean, competition is bringing out the best in the WWE. Hopefully it just continues. And who knows? Maybe they actually learned a lesson from all this. Doubtful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, like I said at the top, uh, for the first time in the four years that we've actually done Horror Month, we're going to carry it over to wrestling and talk some of our favorite horror themed wrestlers of all time. Um, we're not going to have all the bells and whistles that we usually have attached to our horror countdowns uh, since wrestling is usually pretty bare boned. But uh, I figure, Christian, are you prepared to do a top 10 or you want to do a top five? I mean, I have five wrestlers, but I'm down to talk as many as you'd like. <laughs> I just don't know if I have that many. You know, you know, I can't contain my list to top uh-huh. five. Come on, man. <laughs> no matter how much I beg. I know. I know. <laughs> Sorry. My number 10 pick is Papa Shango, uh, a character I thought visually was just absolutely stunning. He's like this voodoo priest uh, played by none other than Charles Wright, who went on to play the Godfather. Um, but yeah, no, I think the first time I saw the character, he was making the Ultimate Warrior spew uh, black goo from his mouth. So that always nice. left an impression <laughs> on the young Damon. So uh, that's why he made my list. I actually was hoping that the character would make a comeback eventually. Um, and I guess there were plans in place for him to come back as Papa Shango at one point. But then they kind of canned it last minute. So um, hmm. I know he actually does conventions as the character, though. So... I would love to get a fucking autograph from Papa Shango. No, absolutely. I like. I love the design because it looks just like one of those um, old Bond villains. Yes. I, I'm assuming that's what they probably based it off of. No, probably. <laughs> you're right, right? All right. Well, my number uh, nine pick is none other than Abyss. Um, I loved Abyss in TNA. Um, a great hardcore wrestler. Mm-hmm. Tons of fun, imaginative matches. I mean, this guy was so dedicated to his character. And they really went an extra mile to tell, like, you know, his story. And they stuck to it. I loved his early days when he was paired with uh, Sinister Minister, even up to the point when he becomes a Hulkamaniac. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I love Abyss. I don't think he gets enough credit. I know he's working behind the scenes right now for uh, WWE. I know Joseph Park is pretty much like retired at this point. Um, he did have a brief like role on screen with AJ Styles for a little bit on SmackDown as his like lawyer. Uh, 
you know, and he actually wrestled as Joseph Parks uh, in uh, TNA. I think he was supposed mm-hmm. to be some kind of relative of Abyss, so it's just ridiculous. But anyway, um, <laughs> I would love to see Abyss actually like make an appearance in, in WWE, like briefly, like maybe in like a Rumble or something like that. I think that'd be fun. I don't know legally like if they have the rights to the name though, um, but I'm sure they could probably work something out with like TNA at this point. I don't know. Call him the abysmal guy or something. I don't know. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> that's horrible. Did I call him TNA? Impact. Impact. Next on my list is actually a wrestler I just got into, uh, Dan Housen. I'm really, like, late to the game. And I'll be honest, I think I've only seen about five or ten matches of his at this point. <laughs> but I've got this weird niche thing I'm into, which is watching wrestlers do unboxings and go on toy hunts. It's, it's really very specific. I, yeah. <laughs> my wife is concerned. <laughs> so, but I don't know. Like, it's my happy place. I just watch these videos for hours. But on one of these vlogs that I'm watching, Danhausen was along for the ride. And he's, I don't know. There's this guy with like Pazuzu like makeup on. And he's got these like weird like Nosferatu mannerisms with this insane voice i was like what the fuck is this what am i watching (laughs) come to find out later on he's like this perfect mix of like i don't know like think of like sven gooley if sven gooley was a wrestler like an old school like horror tv show host and who happens to be a wrestler like that's pretty much what dan housen is you know and Uh, come to find out he's actually awesome in the ring too like he, he well, that's I, great. I mean, gimmick aside, which he actually like pours like teeth into people's mouths, which is just horrendous. Um, but like he's actually a really good wrestler. So I, I don't know. I, I love Danhausen, but I don't know. Like his videos are my happy place right now. Like I've pretty much like gone down the rabbit hole of Danhausen. Um, he wrestles for Ring of Honor. So hopefully I'll actually get to see more of his matches. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I definitely, if you don't know who Dan Housen is, go ahead and check him out. Uh, every time I see a picture of Dan Housen, I just think of like King Diamond for some yes, reason. No, absolutely. That's the first <laughs> thing I actually thought of too, until I realized, oh, this is totally Pazuzu. Um, he's actually a really good wrestler too, though, which is hilarious. No, I'll have to check him out. I've only heard great things from you about Danhausen. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of weeks, I've definitely been down the the Danhausen rabbit hole. So, <laughs> so moving on, my next pick was Vampiro. I only really know his career from you know late in the like you know twilight years of WCW, um, where he also had to deal with a lot of shitty booking. Uh, but his look and everything and his style of wrestling, I was just mesmerized by. Um, I loved the look. I mean, he hung out with the Misfits, which is one of my favorite bands, even though it was kind of the shitty version of <laughs> that band after Glenn Danzig. That's neither here nor there. Uh, but no, I was I was I wanted huge things for Vampiro and I never quite got there. I think he had like a mini feud with Sting at one point. I really thought the sky was the limit for, you know, the guy. And of course, you know, WCW was WCW. So they totally like ruined him. So I think this is my number six pick. Um, (laughs) Just hear me out. My number six pick is Doink the Clown. The early version of Doink the Clown. Uh Matt Bourne, Doink the Clown. Uh, the character was just great. Like, he was this complete psychopath in clown makeup. He had a real, like, viciousness to him, um, where he was actually scary as a character. Like, watch those old promos. He's terrifying. 
Um, I mean, they went on to ruin the character. I think Matt Bourne ended up getting fired or leaving the company. So then they replaced him. And then they made the character a lot more, like, kid-friendly after that. I mean, they gave him, like, Dink, his little sidekick. I mean, it, it was pretty fucking absurd. But, like, that original version of Doink the Clown, at first they were really, like, creative with the character. Um, he would come out to this, like, you know, like your typical clown music. And then when he would win a match and, like, destroy his opponent, his music would come, like, really, like, dark and twisted when he would, like, leave the ring. So I just love that aspect. And it was super, like, creative for a time where you had all these, like, really weird, cheesy cartoon characters. Like, mm-hmm. he actually kind of stood out on his own. Well, for my number five pick, uh, it, it's got to be a legendary character. One that was supposed to go up against the likes of The Undertaker. And that's and that's the character of Mordecai, you know, this oh, great God, Christian wrestler that just had such a <laughs> short lived time in WWE, but left a massive impression on a young fellow like me. Yeah, I think you're the only one, though. Um, that's a dude all in white, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like white Undertaker. Pretty He's much. even. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Like he even has like the really like bleached like hair. Yeah. Right? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Eyebrows, everything was bleach white. I I feel bad for, like, whoever told him to go set this all up. And, you know, this is probably going to be a big deal. Because they, they did have plans for him to be, like, the Undertaker's fucking arch nemesis. And it went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you know it took a long time for that shit to, like, grow out of his hair. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably still doing it on the indies right now, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> That's really your number five pick, though? For real? Because, I mean, I wasn't really around for characters like Gangrel and stuff like that. That's so true. it's like Since you're younger, like, your generation had more of a reality tilt to their characters. Uh-huh. Um, me growing up in, like, you know, the, the early 80s, like, I had all the fucking characters. So. so my fifth pick is none other than Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster. Um, he's a ridiculously fun character. He was a Satan worshiper. <laughs> Uh, he always had, like, a stable of goofs surrounding him. The Yeti and the Zodiac. And they had, like, Earthquake dressed up like a shark or something at one point. Um, but yeah, no, I loved hearing him quote allegedly passages from the Necronomicon in this, like, thick Boston accent. Uh, it's just it's just <laughs> 80s goodness. Um, I just actually watched The Dark Side of the Ring, and I, I, I didn't even know this, but his character was the character that introduced the world to Luna Vachon um she was like a reporter like interviewing him and like there was some kind of like melee or something like that and he ends up punching her and then like she gets like infected by his evilness and like slowly goes crazy and you see her like shaving her head on screen and everything I had no okay. idea and I love <laughs> Luna uh, but I had no idea that was like the origin of her character so some really fun creative shit going on so yeah Kevin Sullivan's definitely on my list but anyway, what's your next pick, Christian? Well, I went kind of the the voodoo man character of Boogeyman. Uh, he is just a strange dude. Uh, yeah, that I was gonna just say, shows it, up in the back all the time. Is voodoo <laughs> actually what Boogeyman's practicing? I don't know, man. Does anyone know what he's actually practicing? I, just kind of just eating worms around. in the corner, right? <laughs> but he was a character that like was always in the games and stuff like that. So I always picked him up and did weird stuff with him storyline wise. Nah. So I, I, you know, I have I have different ties to him. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. 
That's pretty much your generation's Papa Shango, honestly. So exactly, I can only remember like one serious feud with the Boogeyman, right? Did he wrestle Booker T at WrestleMania? I think so. I'm I gonna remember have to his double feud check with it. Cena. I, I'm gonna have uh, to double check. I think he like spit worms in Charmel's uh, mouth at WrestleMania. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Poor Booker T, man. <laughs> that guy's definitely had some shitty WrestleManias. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So my next pick is early Mankind. Uh, this is Mankind in the boiler room, playing with rats, pulling out his hair, stabbing his leg with some weird foreign object after matches. His music was actually the opposite of uh, Doink's. Like his music would like for his intro would be like super like dark. And then when he would win his match, it would go super light and like peaceful <laughs> as he sat in the corner, like pulling out his hair. So like I love that early version of the character. I've been mean, the later incarnation of the character became much more of like, you know, I don't know, like almost a happy uncle character. Um, but it was still fun. But yeah, no, that like early original version of Mankind was definitely horrifying and, you know, super creative at the time. My number three for my list uh, is Kane. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, growing up, uh, when I first got into wrestling and stuff like that, I would I was religiously looking up the storylines of wrestlers and seeing what, you know, on YouTube, on like what the past was, like what, what the continuity of these characters was, even though WWE doesn't give a shit half the time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I That's fell true. in love with the story of Kane, of like being the, you know, this murderous brother of Undertaker and stuff like that. Even though it was fucking ridiculous, I was so into it at the time. Uh-huh. And even, you know, even in the later years when, you know, Team Hell No and all that stuff was always something fun, even though he was always kind of maybe like a B plus player on on their on their end when it came to storylines. I definitely thought Kane was always still kind of cool. Yeah. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his flexibility as a performer. Because think mm. about all the fucking crappy, like, versions of that character we end up getting, like, eventually. Like, Corporate Kane, when he had a fucking yeah. wrestle in slacks. <laughs> <laughs> that was the shits. That was horrible. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite Kane moment? Probably him stalking Lita. That was pretty... Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Pretty cringe, but horrible. <laughs> Don't they get together eventually, though? Yeah, they kind of, like, they do this whole, like, fake marriage thing, and it turns out to be, like, a trap. <laughs> You know, what an awful it, message. It's how it always goes. <laughs> <laughs> so mine's got to be either when he sets JR on fire or when he, like, sticks the um, spark plugs on a, on a Shane McMahon's balls. <laughs> you remember that? Yes. <laughs> I, also, I also loved when he debuted the voice box thing, when he was, like, talking through that. At uh-huh. first, he wasn't supposed to be able to talk. And then he had him doing like this, like like horrible voice box thing that I'm sure they got like straight from South Park at the time. So um, yeah, but yeah, Kane like saying "suck it" through that goddamn thing was priceless. <laughs> I just loved everyone's disappointment to when he unmasked and it just looked like a normal dude underneath it. Yeah, that was <laughs> with a bad haircut. Uh huh. <laughs> he's had a rough career, but he still had some great moments. And he was a pillar, you know, really, of WWE for, mm-hmm. like, decades. Well, actually, Christian, my number three pick is also Kane. Uh, for everything that you mentioned, um, and then some, I still remember his debut at Hell in the Cell. Um, they did a great job of, mm-hmm. like, building up that whole, like, you know, 
Undertaker storyline beforehand with Paul Bearer. Uh, you knew that he was coming, but you didn't know what to expect. And you got this fucking monster of a man, like, ripping off the cage of the door. Uh, he just looked gi- like he dwarfed the Undertaker. So, I mean, he was terrified in that original, like, red mask and everything. Um, that's absolutely my favorite version of the character. Silent is scary as all hell. Um, and you know what? Glenn Jacobs does not get enough credit as a performer because what he could do in the ring as a big man is really impressive. All right. Well, my number two is none other than Bray Wyatt. Um, Bray Wyatt as a whole, because I just think everything he's done since, you know, starting in WWE, you know, turning into this character that, you know, is just this cult leader um, going all the way up to becoming the fiend and everything like that. He's just always been able to captivate his audiences and do these like crazy, you know, long speeches, but they, they hold the audience and they get the people's attention into his storylines. You know, whether those storylines actually went anywhere, whether they actually became something, you know, that, yes. that actually held. Are you trying to say booking aside? <laughs> booking aside, yes. He's able to I, I overcome shitty booking. You're right. Yes. <laughs> He, he was great. Even like The Rock pointed it out. Like this guy has a fucking ton of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just I'm while I'm disappointed what happened to him in WWE, I think he's still got a great career ahead of him. And, you know, he's he's a fucking horrifying master here. Uh, you know, he can come up with some of the craziest storylines. And I can't imagine what he'll do next um, in whatever company that he joins. Yeah, especially now since he's like off Vince's leash. Yes. You know, I'm, I I have to believe that that company is probably like stifling his creativity to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for, you know, uh, The Fiend. Uh, what's your favorite version of Bray, though? Is it Bray Wyatt, the cult leader, or is it Bray as The Fiend? I think I, I like The Fiend a bit more just because there's a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. You know, everything with the playhouse yeah. and what you got with the like puppets just hiding in different areas. <laughs> And like that ability to just play with storylines and draw things out what well, I thought was cooler at the time but mm-hmm. you know the matches sucked so yeah <laughs> I don't I think a lot of that wasn't his fault though I think it's the way that they overbooked them was really the problem mm-hmm. I mean you remember him wrestling in that red light yes you know and then like I don't know they just made him too powerful like you couldn't hurt him for like the first handful of his matches it just didn't make any sense like they booked themselves in a corner almost when it came to him. I think my the fa- my favorite moment that came out of the fiend was not not the match itself but the the moment ap- that happened right after that with X-Pac. Uh, I I loved the DQ finish in a hell in a cell that led to X-Pac on like this the bump or whatever they call that show that happens afterwards. Um, just being like, "Well, you can't have a a DQ and all oh, these yeah. other guys that are like, you know, young company kids are like you, uh, don't know what to say oh, on the ball yeah fuck that show <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've watched more than a minute of the bump so yeah. um no yeah no it's absolutely ridiculous you can't have a dq in a hell of a cell it makes no, no. sense so um but apparently seth rollins was also furious at that finish and <laughs> wanted to kill vince mcmahon according to an interview he just did uh with stone cold so uh, you weren't alone. Uh, but yeah, no, I remember the outcry. I mean, people were literally canceling their WWE like subscriptions at that uh-huh. point. So, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, well, once again, Christian, ditto. Uh, I also had Bray Wyatt as my number two. Uh, 
I actually think I like the cult leader version of Bray more. I thought he was, okay. I mean, I love everything he did with the Fiend, but I mean, but when it comes to like the original version of Bray, like, you know, in the ring, he could fucking go and he could, you know, be scary with like just simple, like little things like his little bridge and like what he would do in the corner. Like those moments were awesome. Um, and some of that earlier stuff was just awesome. Like, I mean, when he had that choir of kids with the sheet masks on singing, uh, we got the whole world in our hands. I mean, goddamn, <laughs> that is good shit, Christian. Once again, he had overcome so much bad booking. I mean, it's amazing mm -hmm. that, you know, he went on to be the champion a couple times, you know, regardless, and fans were still behind him, um, even though they felt like they had to beat him almost like every fucking pay-per-view. I think the guy went like three years without winning a feud. It was insane. Well, with my number one, I think it's painfully obvious it's going to be The Undertaker. Uh, he's he's probably one of the main reasons I got into wrestling when I did uh, back during like that SmackDown run era where Teddy Long was just fucking sending everyone to The Undertaker to their doom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was a good time. I enjoyed you know the history of The Undertaker, um, everything with like even the the crazy stuff with like uh, the ministry and the corporate ministry. You know, I I enjoyed you know what they were able to do with this character throughout the years and he's been such a just unbelievable badass on top of being this crazy supernatural character um at times you know even the american badass period was a good time for him it's just like there's there's never been a wrong moment for the undertaker I, until maybe when he lost but even then you know that's just part of it felt like the natural conclusion to the character's story i uh, guess i, <laughs> <laughs> I still hate I the mean, fact that he lost that match at wrestlemania but that's just me uh there's also that moment when maven threw him out of the royal rumble that was pretty horrible too but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway uh, yeah i mean sure should the story have ended with Shawn michaels yes uh but mm. they chose brock lesnar whatever yeah uh -huh. <laughs> and of course my number one pick is also the undertaker um and really there's no other way that it could have possibly gone i mean it has to be the undertaker I mean, no one's been able to take a gimmick and really, like, lived it the way The Undertaker has and make it, like, last through decades and make it still relevant mm. every fucking year. Um, you know, I mean, the versatility that takes alone is amazing. I mean, he's known, like, the right time and the right place to always, like, you know, tweak the character a little here and there. Um, you know, like I said, to stay relevant and important, you know, in... Uh, a highly competitive atmosphere like the WWE. Um, you know, he's always been a mainstay and he still is. It sounds like he's going to end up showing up at Saudi Arabia <laughs> this week. <laughs> Apparently he appeared with Pitbull or something. I mean, from like burying people alive to throwing mankind off the top of the hell in the cell um, to crucifying Stone Cold. I mean, Undertaker has done it all. I mean, he's died and come back to life like multiple times at this point. I mean, it's got to be the greatest gimmick of all time. Like that can't even be argued. So, um, and he's always like kept that horror aspect of the character in the forefront, honestly, except for maybe like the year or two he was the American badass. But he was still terrifying as that version of the characters. So, uh -huh. uh, my favorite version is probably the Satanic Undertaker. You know, when he was like, you know, trying to kidnap Stephanie McMahon. 
Um, I love that version of the uh-huh. character, all the chanting <laughs> and just like druids, druids Crucify every night. People. Yes. <laughs> Go figure. That's my favorite version of the character. But yes, no. <laughs> but anyway, that's why Undertaker's number one on my list. But anyway, that does it for this week. Uh, join us next week as we catch up uh, with all the happenings in the wild world of wrestling. And also make sure to join us for the grand finale of Horror Month as we count down the greatest werewolf films of all time. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, we're going to have a review for Dune and for Horror Month. For our grand finale, we're going to be counting down our all-time favorite werewolf films. And of course, make sure that you're tuning in for all the wrestling goodness as we bring it to you every single week. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Where to, Stephanie? (laughs) Oh!